All right, boys. Welcome to episode four of Rad Talk, where sports and medicine collide. I'm Gage. That's Dennis. And today we got the second half of our kind of our experimental uh, series here. So episode three was purely sports. So today is going to be purely, for the most part, purely medicine. Um, so we have a couple segments for you. Uh, I think it was episode two where we talked about Dennis's origin story. So we'll kind of get into like the first half of mine today. Um, and then we're going to let Dennis talk about, do his traveling segment. And today he's going to cover, uh, I guess, contracts and pay is what we'll call it. Um, and then the third segment, we have some social media or some questions we got from people on social media that we're going to talk about. And then my favorite part is the end. I have a, another kind of fun question that uh, Dennis and I are going to answer to let you guys know a little bit more about us. Um, so I think I'll just go ahead and get started on my end. Um, I think this kind of, this was kind of prompted by, uh, what's the name of the group that you're in that, that Facebook group? The Sonographers do it in the dark. Okay. So this was, this segment was kind of prompted by that. Cause one of the questions wanted to know how essentially you get to, you know, be a radiologist or a doctor in general, I guess. Um, but this question was specifically about radiology. And this was so, good because this was kind of confusing people. It's funny because in the, the sonographers do it in the dark, they actually said things were wrong and I sent it to you and you were like, this is not correct. Yeah, yeah. We've got to correct this. And so this is great. Yeah. So I have to give a couple caveats. One, this is going to be the American way of doing it. It's done differently in um, foreign, you know, other foreign countries. I've, I actually met an attending here who's from England. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, attendings from the Middle East. So theirs is done differently. So if you're coming from a foreign, like a foreign medical graduate is what they're called. But if you're coming that route, this won't apply to you as much. Um, so I'm going to give you the way that we do it in America. And then secondly, I also have to say that some of the stuff has changed. The general theme will be the same, but specifics, certain specifics will be different. Um, so we'll start with the early years, I guess. You kind of have to know what you want to do very early on. So I knew probably my senior year of high school is what I, I knew this is what I wanted to do. And we'll get into why and all that stuff later. But so I had to know early. Um, I picked after my ACT. So you have to take the ACT or SAT, whatever your school takes, you know. Um, obviously, you try and do as well as you can on that. Uh, if you don't do very well on that, that's going to limit your options drastically. Um, I did well enough. Um, I went to a very small uh, liberal arts school. So didn't, I wasn't trying to go to like Harvard or Yale or anything like that. Um, and as a general point, I don't think where you go to college matters unless you're going to, unless you want to go to like Harvard or Yale, those big ac academic institutions. Sure. You're going to get some doors open for you that I don't have. Um, but I want, I don't want people to be discouraged if they don't go to those institutions. I went to a very small, I went to a public high school one. It wasn't a private, it wasn't anything fancy. Um, I went to a, a liberal arts college. It's nothing special. Um, so I just don't want people to get discouraged, but that's kind of a sidetrack. Um, so you, you take the ACT, SAT, then you apply for college. Everybody knows kind of that whole uh, part. So you get in, when you get to college, I don't know how, did you do a bachelor's or just an associate's? Bachelor's. Okay. So for a bachelor's, I picked immediate. I picked my major immediately. Uh, I recommend you do if you want to do medicine. You're going to have to pick your major immediately um, because you you don't have a lot of time to 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 switch. I guess you know to perseverate on something. Um, so it's expensive. It's very expensive. Yeah. I there's if you want to do medicine, there's a couple options. Um, you could do whatever you want. Honestly, major wise, you're going to have more success with certain majors than you are others. But I went to medical school with art majors. Uh, sociology majors, philosophy, all that kind of stuff. They definitely had a, a tougher route, I guess, tougher time because they didn't pick one of the traditional sciences. Um, but I think most doctors pick biology, chemistry, or like physics. Um, I happen to pick biology. Mm -hmm. um, if I was going to give uh, advice, I would not pick biology, actually, because the majority of people find out probably early on into the pre-med route that they don't want to do this and you're very limited if you graduate with just a biology degree you can teach uh you know high school college whatever you want to teach you can do certain other things but you're you're very limited at least in my opinion you're limited more so if you do biology than if you did chemistry or physics 
Um, I think chemistry probably has the most options. Chemistry or physics probably has the most options. But um, so you pick, the, there's no such thing, at least when I went through, there was no such thing as a pre-med major, right? It was just a route you took. You had to take certain classes, but there's no major in it. Um, so I had to take the biology classes on top of, you know, all the pre-med classes that med school needed, um, which made for a pretty demanding schedule, as you can imagine. I don't remember... I don't know if you remember either how many credit hours you took each semester. I have no idea. And I think it varied, you know, based I on. I think I took four classes. I don't know what that yeah, accounts yeah. for. Because certain classes are worth more credits. And so you're just kind of yeah. like, you kind of follow along with whatever the counselor tells you you need to get to get where you need to go. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard, though, because I feel like they, they, they lead you astray sometimes, too. I feel like they don't know. Um, uh, it's it, Yeah, it's funny you say that because mine had no clue. Yeah, he was, like, he was an older guy. He was very out of touch with what mm-hmm. was going on. Yeah. I think he actually actively told me not. He like, <laughs> what did I, I didn't have, I think I had like a 3.5, which is not like mm-hmm. great, but it's not terrible. No, I think crazy. he looked, I think he looked at that and was like, yeah, maybe you should think about doing something else. Um, well, I think you've, you've maybe told this story too. Every step of the way for you, people told you. Yeah. You know, and that, I mean, I kind of, you kind of use it. I'm the, um, yeah. You always hear about this is a very cliche example, but you hear people like Michael Jordan. Sometimes they make stuff up, right? Like right. sometimes reporters say stuff, and you're like, "Oh man, that kind of irked me a little bit." Mm-hmm. So he would use it as motivation. Sometimes they make they manufacture stuff in their heads. So I probably have like played it up a little bit, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But definitely, it motivated me to be like, yeah, "You know, you don't think I can do this, so now yeah. I have to go out and do it." Small um, town, small town kid. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, my town was, you know, not known for much. Um, but so when you pick your major and then you have to go through the major, you have to do all the courses that it requires. Um, you have to maintain, I, I was at a three, five, which is probably the lower end. At least when I was going through was the lower end Mm -hmm. of what you wanted to have, you know, Mm -hmm. to try and get into medical school. Most of the people I was competing with had like three eights, three nines or 4.0 perfect GPA. Uh, so obviously you want to maintain right. your grades as best as you can, um, which is the easy and, part. And that varies from school to school, you know, like yeah. depending on, because it's, it's all, I think it's all competition based, you know, even from yeah. the nursing route, you know, you had to maintain, you know, if all of the nurses you're competing against have a 4.0, then you have to mm-hmm. equal that to get into yeah. the program, you know, along with the interview, so, I'm sure you're going to go into other things, but yeah. Yeah. The, so the, uh, the grades are the easy part. And the fact that you say that, you know, you're competing with people that have similar grades, you then have to find something else that separates you from them. Um, so while you're doing that, you have to find other avenues. A lot of people do research. Um, so research is a way you can, and that's institution dependent. You have to find something at whatever college you go to. Um, so find a professor that's doing research in something that you're even slightly interested in. Um, and if you can publish something, that would be even better. Um, so research was a big one. Um, I did several thousand, maybe a couple thousand hours of volunteering at the hospital. So that's another thing you can do, um, have some kind of volunteer or shadow experience. That's something else that can set you apart. Um, I used, some people use like instruments. If they're really a high level guitar or violin or whatever, you can use that kind of stuff to kind of set you apart. Um, and I used sports. They, people really loved sports. I'm not sure why, but <laughs> I used the sports aspect quite a bit. Uh, I played the one year in college. So that really helped. Um, so you have to find with the grades, you're going to have to unfortunately find something else that's going to set you apart because like you mm-hmm. said, it's very competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of, a, I always think of it as a, being akin to like the, the pros, like each mm-hmm. level gets more competitive and more competitive and it's going to each level, each, a whole bunch of people get eliminated at each level. So high school and not a lot of high school athletes play college, you know, even less play, in the pros, which would be akin to medical school. Um, right. So, yeah. And so then, so you got your biology, you went, then you went to school and you decided yeah. to get your biology degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then that puts you onto the track of everything mm-hmm. else. Okay. Yeah. Cause, cause I, I think that the question or one of the things that they had gotten wrong on the social media post was, um, they said four it was like four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, four years of residency, and then 
I can't remember, you know, a year of fellowship. And you said, no, no, it's five years of yeah. res- residency. Yeah. Which so, I, thought, I was wrong too. I thought. Um, yeah, for us, it is five years. Um, before we get there, the yeah, one sure. big thing you have to do in um, college on top of grades is the MCAT, right? So the medical oh. college admissions test. And that's when I gave you the caveat of things that have changed. That was one thing that has changed. When I took it, there was only, I think, three sections. One was biology. One was like this reading, writing, comprehension. Mm-hmm. Like you get a passage and you have to interpret it and yada, yada, yada. And then the last one was biochem and physics. Um, now they've completely changed it. The grading scale is different. They've added, uh, I think they've added psychology or something extra in there. So unfortunately, I can't speak to that as much. I just know you have to do well. Um, but it, I can't tell you how to study or any of that because it's changed. One, it's changed. And two, that was, God, uh, 2012. So that was, you know, 10 or 11 years ago. Yeah. Um, but I will say that's a, a big deal. And one aspect of my training that I drastically under underlooked, overlooked, excuse me, I remember I didn't study for it ever. Most people study like six months for this thing. I didn't mm-hmm. study for it. I vividly remember being up to like 3 a.m. the night before I took it, uh, trying to, trying to <laughs> thumb through this this book. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what's it called? Like a study book. It was Kaplan is the brand. Mm-hmm. And I was it just I couldn't do it. And so Kaplan, I pretty much took it cold turkey. Wow. Which I, I do not recommend. doing. Yeah. That. Yeah. I, I met a lot of people and, and they all said the same thing. Like, oh, I studied for six months for this. Yeah. I, you know, it took a year, whatever, you know, period of time. So for you to be able to do that, that's just um, your retention, your memory, your, you know, obviously you did really well in these, these tests. So that's, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. Com- and one thing you have to, uh, what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought. Go ahead. With the, I mean, just the literature and, and each, I guess the biology part, you probably were more ease with. Yeah. That was the easy uh, part. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's difficult, especially, yeah, with, with the three parts and not knowing, not going in there, not reading mm-hmm. beforehand that, you know, each part going in and mm-hmm. just kind of cold turkey going for it. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's probably where most, do- most doctors have type A personalities, right? I would consider myself not a type A, but mm-hmm. I think that's where the type A, like, really starts is when you, they have to take that MCAT. It's like right. the first real thing they've ever had to take in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them probably coasted through high school. The first couple of years of college probably weren't that hard for them. Maybe the all four years weren't that hard, but yeah. the MCAT is like the first time where the test is hard mm-hmm. and it's a lot, it throws a lot writing on it. Um, it can cause you in and of itself to not get accepted. You know, you could have a perfect resume outside of that. And if you don't do well, you're not going to mm-hmm. get in. Right. So you're just wasting four years. Um, right. So yeah, I know a lot of people that, like you said, that were able to, you know, coast through those, those college Mm -hmm. and and stuff like that, even through, you know, medical, all that stuff, just able to coast. And so it's, it's interesting for, yeah, yeah. Take this one test that means everything. Yeah, means a ton. Yeah. (laughs) And you have to get, um, you talked about getting letters for your jobs. You have to get letters of recommendation, you know, to apply to medical school. And Mm -hmm. it's the pain. I know there's a, the process to apply to medical school is pain. Uh, they, I mean, it's like a centralized, uh, mm-hmm. what do you want to call it? Agency. I don't know. You just upload your stuff to this one website and it distributes it to everybody else, but mm-hmm. you have to pay, you have to coordinate, you have to upload this stuff yourself. So it's very, it's a pain to do all yeah. of this. Yeah. And I can remember even, you know, and I guess, and this is probably jumping ahead, but I remember you saying when you went on your fellowship trips, this is probably mm-hmm. way ahead, where mm-hmm. it, COVID kind of oh, yeah, helped me out. Really, kind yeah. of helped you out with that because of, yeah. you didn't have to pay all that extra because this stuff is expensive. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you've been going through residency, you've been essentially not working for free, but working for a lot less than what attending would, would get. And now you have to pay for all these trips to go mm-hmm. to see your possible fellowship destinations and things like that. Yeah. So, it's so I mean, medical school is yeah. the, I mean, it's the same, right? You're your poorest. Mm-hmm. You take out loans to go to college, I'm assuming, unless you get, you know, everything covered. Right. So you're at your poorest in college and then you have to spend even more money to apply to these schools um, mm-hmm. and then travel to these. When I did it, you had to travel to this to, for the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So you get your, you know, you pick your major, hopefully you do well, you get your extracurriculars, you do, you take the MCAT, hopefully you do well. So you take the MCAT when you're a junior mm-hmm. and in college. So you can apply for medical school that summer, that cycle, whatever the fall, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so the applying to medical school generally, I don't know how it works now, but when I did it, as mm-hmm. I mentioned it, it was like a, uh, a website, you uploaded your resume, your, or your CV, whatever, mm-hmm. your letters, your MCAT, all your great, all that stuff, you uploaded it. And then you picked the schools you wanted to send it to. Um, so a lot of kids, uh, they freak out about like how many schools do I apply to? And it's a, it's a double-edged sword because obviously the more you apply to, the more you can get ex- interviewed at and possibly accepted at, but it's going to cost you. So mm-hmm. each school you apply to that, I think there were, for me, at least for residency, it was like the first 25 were X number of dollars. And every one you wanted to do after that was an additional X number of dollars. So it got very pricey very quickly. Um, How many do you think that, and I don't know, I don't even know if you know, but how many think that school wise that people apply for? um, Yeah. I mean, so the, the application, I would say I applied to like 30 or 40. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you're looking to get interviews at like 10 or 15 out of those 30 or 40. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause if you get 15 interviews, you're going to get accepted at one of those. Mm-hmm. Like the statistical odds is very high that you're going to get accepted at one of those schools. Right. Um, so I did 30 or 40. I don't remember how many schools I got accepted to. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of kids, you're right. They will, they freak out and they want to know like the, the exact number. What's the yeah. perfect number. So if I, I haven't dealt with medical students in a while, it's usually residents that I, that ask me this question, but I would say 30, to, you apply to 30 to 40 mm-hmm. and hopefully you get accepted into about half, or I mean, you get interviews at about half right. and then you're going to get accepted into however many of those, at least one of them, yeah. right? Like ideally you want, you're going to have your ideal school, right? Um, but you have to be prepared for that to not be your reality. Yeah. Um, and this is more for residency, but you rank things. So you, you, uh, when you rank things, you have to be prepared to go to that institution. If you're going to rank them, there's a possibility you end up there. So if you really don't see yourself wanting to go there, then don't, don't bother. Don't waste your time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Don't rank it at all. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. So the first, I think college is probably the easy part mm -hmm. Um, up to the, up to the MCAT. Once you get to the MCAT stage, then it's, I, w- I don't know the statistics, but a vast majority of people would have given up by that point. Mm-hmm. So they said, you, I started with a whole bunch of people that said, hey, I'm pre-med. By the time you get to that MCAT stage, a lot of them are not pre-med anymore. Right. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to study science. They don't want to study hard. Mm-hmm. Right. So they don't want to, there was, I can't tell you how many nights I gave up mm-hmm. studying for tests and everything while my friends were out doing what college kids do. Right. Um, yeah. You know, maybe... I probably didn't have to be as strict as I was, but it worked. So I can't really complain about it. Um, But I mean, you have to be prepared to make sacrifices that up until that point, you probably haven't, some people will have made more higher sacrifices than, than that. But right. Right. You have to have a certain level of self-discipline if you want to do right. This kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it even makes sense. I mean, that's why, and I know this will probably be for a different episode, but I mean, that's why we're getting it. I think we're seeing more, nurse practitioners, more physician assistants, Mm -hmm. because we just don't have as many doctors um, out there. And so we're going to other folks that they can fill in for the, for doctors that we just can't get enough doctors um, in the, in America, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's, I mean, that's, that's something for another episode, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the, that's the beginning of your story. And then that's why we called this, what are you doing for the next 14 or 15 years? Um, mm-hmm. because this is, that's the first eight, you know, you go through yeah. undergrad and then you're going to medical school. And so there's eight years and then mm-hmm. the rest of you, five years for that. And then. So at a minimum, yeah, at a minimum, the lowest amount would be like a family medicine physician who does four years undergrad, four years med school, and then their residency is only three years. So mm-hmm. at a minimum, you're looking at 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you want to sub, usually family medicine doesn't, but they can further subspecialize. Mm-hmm. So mine is 
what, four, four, five, and one. So I'm at 14. Mm-hmm. So, but if you're in neurosurgery, they're four, four, seven. And then if they want to specialize, it's even longer. So mm-hmm. you have to be prepared to, no one tells you this is the, what I find weird or it's different between us and foreign medical graduates. Mm-hmm. So I went to, a, I went to residency What you remember Kalechi, uh, mm-hmm. he was, he went to, he's not a foreign medical graduate, but he went to the same route. So when they do it, they go to medical school and college combined. So their medical school college is six years total. So they shave two years off. Oh, wow. But that's a big decision to make for someone who's only 18. Like you have to know at 18, that hey, I want to do this. Yeah. So you can get accepted into that school. Or if you're a foreign medical graduate, you have to know at 18 that, hey, this is the route I want to take. Right. Um, so at least in America, there's there's an out. Yeah. That's, you know. And so and so they they combine you said they combine medical school and undergrad or in mm-hmm. okay. so instead of ours takes eight years there's a six but you have to know um, day one like okay this yeah. is what i'm doing and yeah and then you just, for the next and there's no because if they quit on year three you have nothing no nope, nothing yeah okay geez so so yeah I mean, it's a that's a big commitment to make for someone who's 18 yeah and i can see why people doubted me because i was only 18 when i met, when i said yeah this is what i'm going to do Right. You don't know what you have no clue what you're doing at 18. I agree. Yeah. I, so it, it is, it's a crazy world we live in, but obviously, I mean, you were able to make those sacrifices, make those decisions mm-hmm. and just kind of stick with the road. Like you said, when your friends were doing maybe other things, you were focused and studying and that's why you are where you are. Um, and, and a couple of weeks away. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> am I maybe and, six, and, six or seven. Yeah, and we'll go. One day we'll go into our, our recommendations for people who are looking into medicine as well, maybe. Um, so I yeah. think we got a, we got. So at this point, we're through undergrad. I think mm-hmm. based off the time, I think that's a good amount of. It's yeah. probably a good place. We could save medical school for next episode because sure. there's a lot of information about medical school. Um, yeah. And then if anyone has any questions about, uh, like I said, I'm, I deal with less with applying to medical school now because I did it so long ago and it's changed. Right. But I probably have some general knowledge. Um, yeah. So if anyone wanted to email us, right. they and could. I, and I think that's great because I was l- talking to somebody else who's a, a doctor in another specialty. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that, you know, it would, man, it would have been awesome for somebody to be able to go through or somebody to kind of lean on and doc- ask these questions to who, you know, that what I wanted to do, I didn't, couldn't find anybody that just kind of gave me definitive answers. So I think this is a great, a great thing that, you're allowing people to reach out if they need to. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And what's uh, the, tell them the email. Uh, it is um, our email. Address. I think it's radtalkwithdg yeah. at yep. gmail. Yep. Radtalkwithdg at gmail.com. All of a sudden it was like, it was gone. Gone. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so if, yeah, if you email us with any questions, I can do my best to either answer them myself or right. find some information. And we'll probably shoot these blurbs up on, TikTok or Insta, we'll put these out on mm-hmm. some sort of social media, and so everybody can reach out there too if they have questions. I know we do a lot mm-hmm. of sports stuff, but this is kind of our our other thing that we do. Um, mm-hmm. And so next, did you want to go into? So for further episode, we'll be going over medical school and residency. Yeah. And I think based off how much I talked about it, yeah, we can we can do one episode of medical school. The next episode will be medical school. Episode after that will be residency, mm-hmm. and then fellowship probably won't be as long because there's just not as much involved but i think that'll give us enough time to then where i can be an attending and i can start to talk about like early attending uh life and how it how it compares to yeah because then i'll get when i get in that's when i'll get into my true feelings and that'll be that will allow me (laughs) to at least give me my feet wet as an attending because it's gonna be drastically different than it is as a a resident or a fellow Mm -hmm. so i think that that's a good yeah, Which a good is, timeline. I definitely think so because I've seen, I've seen all steps of the way, and I work with, and I, and I get the opportunity. I've worked with a new attending, and and how they've wanted me to do different things. So it's really interesting mm-hmm. to hear what your take is going to be on it versus another new attending. Um, and so I guess the next thing we were going to talk about, we we're going to talk a little bit about. No, it's your turn. Side. Yeah, my side. Yeah. <laughs> Let's give you give give Gage a break, um, yeah. and we're just going to go into. Um, some travel stuff. Uh, we're gonna pick a we're gonna pick a topic that's oddly enough we could talk about this later, but it's it's taboo to talk about this topic for doctors, but not anyone else. 
Okay. So I'm, I, okay. I like, I like talking about this topic, even as a doctor. So mm -hmm. we'll talk about my side of things eventually, but yeah, yeah. I'm interested to hear. Yeah. And I, I especially want to hear the, cause you have experience with this in terms of the dynamic between working with someone who is a traveler mm -hmm. and who isn't a traveler right. and you're making different salaries and how that kind of affects your guys' dynamic. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, this is going to be an interesting because yeah. if we're being honest, money is why most of us do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So this is what most people are going to want to know about. So right. I think this is going to be interesting. Right. And I think, and I think um, traveling in general um, has seen this boom due to, you know, money as well as the opportunity to, to see places. I mean, I've, I've been around travelers that say, you know, I don't really care too much about the money, but the opportunity to see different places has kind of enticed me. And I've been around travelers that was like, you know, I love what I do, but I also wanted to get paid a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's why they made that that leap. And, and, you know, most travel contracts vary from is, uh, you know, if you're a nurse or something, I mean, you could go in for a strike and you're there for a couple of days or a week. Yeah. Um, in terms of radiology, typically we're looking at uh, 13 week contracts. I've seen eights. I've seen 16s. Um, it depends on the need. I've stayed that, places. Yeah, go ahead. Is that exclusive to ultrasound or is that also, I've, I've some of the ultrasound or not, but x-ray I think was 13 weeks too. So mm -hmm. is that like a standard thing or is that just for you guys in ultrasound? I think that's a standard. Um, I think for nurse, I think for everything, and I don't know who exactly standardized it, but I know mm -hmm. that um, across the board from nurses to radiology to physical therapists to all the different parts of the hospital, um, usually they go 13 weeks. And I think that's just because it makes it worthwhile because those, a lot of times those first, like first week um, at some facilities, you're going through orientation, you're going through training, you're meeting mm -hmm. like whatever they need to do. And so one week is gone. And then the next week you're kind of like learning the protocols or, or whatever it is. So then you got another week that may be gone. And so, I mean, if you were six weeks, I mean, you, you would be They're paying for be, six, but they don't get four. Exactly. You're in and out so yeah. fast. And so they needed to make sure that, you know, you have enough time there, you make it worth their while. Although I know a lot of hospitals are trying to pull back on the travelers, but mm -hmm. I've talked and it's funny because I literally was talking to somebody this week and they said, do you think it's going to go away? And I said, definitely like, it's never going to go away. Like maybe it, it fluctuates. Like I've been places where at times, you know, obviously during COVID that there was no jobs. Um, mm -hmm. There was no jobs for anybody in, in healthcare. I mean, the nurse, if they're, if they're getting rid of the nurses, like you're like, Oh, there's no jobs here. Yeah. Um, and so I, 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 there's, it's going to fluctuate. It's, it's, it's a plentiful right now. Um, but people are always going to need maternity leave. People are always going to be transferring jobs and they have quick needs that they need filled now. You know, I can't, mm -hmm. or, or, or I'm going to risk losing, um, staff because I'm, I'm putting people on call constantly. I'm working people tons of extra hours and they're tired. Um, and, and they say, why would I stick around here when I see a travel job and I can go here or I can go somewhere else and be treated differently than, um, they feel like they're being overworked. And so I feel like travel is always going to exist in some capacity. Um, mm -hmm. but that capacity will, will change. Um, and, and hospitals are going to continue to grow. I've had a, I've, I've known somebody who was able to travel at the same hospital for years, um, just because that hospital continued to see growth, continued to see turnover, um, whether it was the management that's not doing something right or they're just growing so fast, they're outgrowing their capacity, um, which that's a great thing. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And so uh, travel, I'm here to tell you that travel is going nowhere. It, it will always exist. Um, now, if you need to travel, if you live in a small town and you say, I can only travel you know, because a traveler, uh, you have to travel, they say approximately 50 miles away from where you live. Um, the IRS says something like you can't get like a full night's sleep. Uh, basically, yeah. like, you have to not be able to like make it home safely. But uh, as a as the company is used about 50 miles. And I, I'm paraphrasing. You can look up exactly on the website. Yeah. Um, but I, I if you if you say, OK, I can go 50 miles away and that's the place I'm willing to go. And that's the only hospital I'm willing to go at obviously traveling might not exist for you. Um, it's there for people to fill in needs further away from their home proximity. Mm -hmm. It's not there for people to, to necessarily abuse. 
um, and say you're a traveler, but you just travel down the street. Um, yeah. And so I've seen, I've known a lot of folks who were travelers and especially when you live in a big state or something, you know, you travel all over Texas or you travel all over California. Mm-hmm. Um, don't consider a traveler because if you're going from, these are huge places. Um, and yeah. so, oh, yeah. and so yeah, that exists. Um, also I was going to tell everybody, and this is something that, you know, I'm astonished that people still don't know about um, to make sure that you get your facts right about the GSA. Um, if you are a traveler and you do have a home uh, or somewhere you, you rent um, a taxable residence, um, you can um, get these GSA per diem stipends. And so as a traveler, that's really something that you can use to help save more money. You get your hourly wage, which is your taxable wage. And then uh, if you go to literally go to Google, type in GSA per diem, it, it'll be probably the first one. Type in your city, your state, because um, um, it can vary st- city by city. I mean, if you live in California, but you live in Los Angeles versus living in Delhi, um, it's definitely yeah. going to be two different places um, of, of how much non-taxable income that you'd be allowed to make if you're traveling to a place around there. And so and then it'll cut out and it'll say um, – Meals and incidentals. And so it'll tell you daily how much they can afford to pay you meals and incidental wise, as well as your housing or they call it lodging. Um, And then you would take that number and you would divide it by, um, I believe, your hours you work in a week. So 40 hours, you take the two numbers and you divide it by the amount of hours you worked in a week. And then you can add your taxable to that. And that can give you a rough guesstimate of your um, your gross income that you'll you'll take home and now it's going to vary state to state obviously with mm-hmm. your with your net and probably with your write-offs and ta- you know talk to a tax person yeah. that kind of stuff yeah. that's not my forte but um that way you can go okay like i'm making they're offering me and this is something i, I tell all the travelers that i talk to um go onto the website find out how much they're paying you hourly find out how much they're paying you for housing and lodging and then Go to the GSA and say, okay, does this calculation make sense? Are they taking some of my per diem money that if you have a taxable home, that that money is, that's your money. That's allotted to you for mm-hmm. your travels. That's not that's not a part of the middleman's money to take in and, and make. That's so you can eat and so you can house yeah. um, while you're away. And so I would go to bat for yourself. Um, if you find out that they're, you know, if they say, well, that GSA, that's not what we use. It, it's literally a, it's a government website. And so it's what, it, it's what we use for sure. Yeah. Uh, it, it legally, it's what they use. Um, and so that's like something I, it, it still astonishes me. I go to places and travelers don't know that this exists. Um, and so that's like number one, huge. Um, and, and, um, and that's where you can make a lot of your extra cash. If you're able yeah. to find a house that's, you know, a thousand dollars a month versus $2,000 a month, then that's something that you can uh, keep for yourself as part of your lodging um, because you're able to find a, a cheaper place. Maybe you can use that money to continue paying the rent uh, that you're paying back home. Um, and that's, and I think that's where travelers like that because they're like, you know, and that's where the angst in the department gets. Well, they're paying this guy double what I'm getting paid. Yeah. And at the same time, as a traveler, we're coming in, we're staying at either Airbnbs or furnished finder. Um, and so I need, I don't have a bed, you know, as, as a traveler. I don't have a TV as a traveler. I don't have a couch as a traveler. And so I need to find a place that's fully furnished or I need to rent furniture, which is also very expensive. Yeah. Um, if you're only somewhere for three months, 13 weeks, um, to rent everything to add up. So that, so I don't think that the person at the hospital is taking into um, connection or that we're getting paid more, but we're also need to fill a lot of short-term needs that you already have, that you've purchased, that you own, that I have to rent. And so mm-hmm. that hikes our prices up more, um, especially if you're in, you know, a, a if you don't, I think one of the hardest things I always recommend, if you're going to a new place, this is just like an aside. Um, if you can get a hotel or something somewhere for a week, go look at these places before you, if you're able to look before you rent, I've rented before I've been very lucky and I was able to rent places, 
um, before seeing them sometimes and it worked out, but I've heard other horror stories yeah. of people, people getting scared. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're like running this place and all the pictures look great and they go there and it's just like a really bad neighborhood or it's really it's scary. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of hospitals, especially I feel like the big hospitals are located in sometimes not the best of areas. Um, oh yeah. And so you go, you go work at this hospital and you're like, oh, okay, good price. Go stay there. And then like your first day of work, they're like, where are you staying at? And you say, oh, I stay here. And they say, you might want to move. Like that's, that's scary there. Like, or, or you know, so you can get in there and get that first week of hitting there and maybe talk to some people and say, Hey, like, where should I live? And then start looking at those places, see a couple places, even if it costs a little bit of extra money to stay at a hotel or somewhere else for a week. Um, yeah. It might, it might suck. It's, it's, worth it for people's safety for people to feel comfortable um that's just my opinion of doing this for a little bit yeah uh, and so yeah um that's just like a short tidbit that i wanted to throw in about the travel thing post so you kind of mentioned it a little bit but can you reiterate the normal like you said usually 13 weeks do you have other options do companies do different companies offer different lengths or is it set by the hospital or how does the contract length it's really work. set by the, so it's set by the vent. Um, it's set by the hospital. The hospital says their needs and they work with what's called a VMS. So it's a vendor management system, which is the, the middle person typically from the recruiting company. Um, mm-hmm. And so the hospital will say, I have a need for this role. And the vendor will say, okay, well, I can fill that role for 13 weeks. Well, the hospital says, well, I know they're going on extended um, long-term disability. And so, you know, short-term disability, I believe, is six months. Long-term disability is anything greater than. And so if, if somebody's going on long-term disability and they're holding that role, we still want to fill somebody in. So um, we need a contract filled for, you know, 26 weeks. And so that's, what, six months. Um, and so we'll fill that in, and t- then they'll reevaluate after that. Um, and so it, it's it's a little bit of both, what, and give and take in that. And then the vendor reaches out to the recruiting companies and says, my hospital at X once has a job for 26 weeks who mm-hmm. can fill this role. And then the vendors work with specific recruiting companies. Um, it's impossible for every vendor to work with every recruiting company. They open the door for as many as they can. There's a lot of companies. Um, we'll, some of the kind of not dirty things, but like more interesting things is when the recruiting company also owns the vendor. Um, and so it's mm-hmm. like, you know, they're, they're double dipping, um, yeah. essentially, but if, if that vendor opens it up to, um, another recruiting company and that recruiting company owns the vendor, then they take a percentage. And so if I have, if, if I am own the recruiting company and the vendor, I'll say, okay, they'll, somebody will say, Hey, I found this person named John and they can fill the role at Y company. And I'll say, well, okay, well, I'll allow you to fill that job at my hospital that I have the vendor for, but mm-hmm. you're going to give me a percentage of that, of that, of John's wages or of, of what yeah. you would, you would make however you want to do it. I get my percent. And so then it goes, okay, we're going to pay John. We're going to pay Y company. We're going to pay X company because we are the vendor yeah. um, and we're going to pay our recruiting company. And so then, it can slowly start taking money away from whomever, whether that smaller company says, okay, we're just going to pay John a little bit more and we're going to take a hit there or, okay, we're going to pay John a yeah. little bit less and we may, and we're going to make, I that assume money. John gets scammed most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I think that's, is a, uh, is, is a traveler. I feel like that's what, you know, that's what we always think, you know, we're get we're going to get, we're getting scammed. We're getting yeah. screwed. And I think, I feel like everybody gets, feels like we're getting screwed. And I, I don't, you don't really know. I, it's tough to know if you're getting screwed or not, unless you can find out the bill rate, which I've, um, which is, is a really cool thing. If you can figure out if you are able to make friends with the manager during the interview or, or HR, or whoever knows the bill rate I've worked with, I've been in interviews. It's kind of like an aside too. I've been in interviews where the manager says the bill rate is, I'm just going to throw a number out there up 150, $150 an hour. Mm-hmm. Say that's the bill rate. And so you're like, okay, so then that's like, and so if they come back and they're like, well, we're going to offer you this. And you're like, well, I know what the bill rate is. So I know that if you're offering me 70 or 80, like, man, like you're taking, or if you offer me 50, like, man, you're taking a hundred dollars an hour, like away from, from me. And that's what you yeah. get. 
And so that's kind of an interesting thing too. And I've had those conversations. Use it as a negotiating tool. A hundred percent. You're like, okay, well, I know the bill rate is, so it should be this. And, there, and I'm, you know, I understand we all want to wet our beaks. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's a, a part of um, the business side that you guys, if, as we continue going through things that I really, yeah. enjoy. you're going to learn a little bit about me. I enjoy that. Yeah. And negotiating yeah. that business uh, savvy stuff as well. I find a lot of fun in that. Um, is which is why I'm getting, yeah. Let me, let me just interject. I think we're getting close on time. Right. So you wrap up your. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's what gonna, yeah, that's what I'll talk about um, to beginning. I'll, I'm going to go deeper into some other little nuggets um, that I think you guys are going to want to continue listening in on. Um, and you're going to learn a lot on the travel side uh, listening to this. So we'll stop there and let's go into a couple questions. All right, let's do it. Okay. Um, so we got these from the same group, right? These are from the sonographers group on mm -hmm. Facebook. Yeah, this is okay. from the Facebook stenographers doing the So job. we won't say who, you right. know, the questions are from. We'll just, I think we yeah. just have a couple. So let's just go for it. And um, we'll, we'll just stop with, we'll start with uh, protocols for exams that um, you might not enjoy doing as much or yeah. um, something like that. And so I think, you know, and Gage and I were talking beforehand, um, the biggest example that I could come up with would be... Um, the, the DVT studies for the legs for ultrasound mm -hmm. specifically. Um, some hospitals go below the knee. Some hospitals don't go below the knee. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and also um, compressions and, and, and yeah. pulse waves. And so, and I know the, the science of the reasons that we do it, but it's interesting that um, you can go one hospital and they do it one way and there's another hospital, they do it another way. And so, um, yeah. I don't really know how else to answer that question. I don't know if you, it's also, any. and we also talked beforehand, but it's, it depends on who's doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. So where I did residency, you guys, us, the radiology department did all of this, mm -hmm. including the vascular stuff mm -hmm. um, here, you know, at Iowa where I do my fellowship, vascular does all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think who is reading it also influences how it's being done. Right. Um, I think from a radiologist perspective, we've also talked about this, but for exams in general, and especially the lower leg, like the DVT studies, yeah, yeah, cines are the way to go. I, I'm not a huge fan, especially on DVTs, of the still shots because mm -hmm. you're showing me what you're labeling as the common right. femoral vein, right, or the whatever vein it is you're showing me, mm -hmm. and then the next image, the image next to it is just a still shot of what I'm assuming you have compressed in that right. same area. Right. So to me, a cine proves. One, you you show me the vein, and then in real time, I get to see you compress the same vein. So for me, it just makes it easier to uh, analyze and interpret the images if right. they're cine clips. Um, right. So I know you had an experience with other – and all radiologists are going to be different. Right. Um, I love cine clips because in my mind, it's the only way to prove that you've looked at the whole organ or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. if you're doing a gallbladder, you can take 50 still shots, but that doesn't mean you're going to see the whole gallbladder. They right. could just be the same. So for me, a cine clip is the only way to prove that you look through the, cause you can do a longitudinal sweep through the whole thing. You can then do a transverse sweep mm -hmm. through the whole thing. So in my mind, that's the only way to prove right. that you've gotten every single right. portion of the, the mm -hmm. organ you're looking at. Right. And I think, and you know, and I think that vascular labs and just sticking with ultrasound, obviously, but vascular labs do the cine clips. Um, yep. with, with the veins and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas general lab, general, whatever departments, um, do the still shots, do the still shots. And yeah. I don't understand the difference and I don't understand why more radiologists haven't, I think that, and I agree with you. I think the cine clips are the way to go. It's a lot easier for us as sonographers. Could we get it done quicker? I know it's probably more of a pain in the neck for you guys to watch each cine clip video, but yeah. I think is, I think if, if I was in your shoes, that would, I, I would rather take the extra time, know yeah. that the individual has, done that particular thing appropriately and hasn't completely fallen off the vein, mm -hmm. you know, and just is imaging some random muscle or some random tissue um, yep. and, and saying it's the same area. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't understand why general departments haven't taken more of that vascular way of doing things. Um, and I had a, I had a radiologist once in my life, tell me I was taking a lot of cine clips because different places, you know, they say we want different ways. And so it's kind of like, is it, is it, I've been in a lot of places and 
as it, um, you get used to somebody saying, okay, I want it done this way. So then you do it this way. And then you get another place to do it this way. So yeah. you're just like constantly doing it mm-hmm. the way that they want to do it. And sometimes they really like beat it into you. And so you're like, okay, that's the way I do it. I had a, a one radiologist tell me like, um, and I'll quote from kind of a quote. He said, um, Scorsese's are great films. Um, but not so many cine clips. They're, they're a little too, it's a little too long, which, you know, I, yeah. I understand sometimes I, you know, maybe I went a little too overboard or whatnot, but, but, um, as Gage said, it, it comes down to preference. You know, he, yeah. he, at this point would love a lot of cine clips because of that, but maybe this particular, you know, he loves the still images, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a fine, it's a fine line, right? Cause you guys are the one modality specifically where you're in charge. Like I, everything I say on this will be from the lens of you, we both have responsibility, right? For the patient, for whatever. The one thing that the doctor has that you guys don't have is liability, right? So if we're, if someone's going to get sued over the images, it's not going to be you. It's going to be us, even though it's you that takes the pictures. Right. So I have to rely extremely heavily on you to get the images, to get me the diagnosis. Right. So that's why it's a fine line, right? You can't have too many clips or whatever, yeah, but yeah. the more you give me, the more likely it is I'm going to find right. whatever yeah. it is is going on with the patient. Right. And, and I think that, and maybe that's some, some fear for some, and I'm not speaking for anybody else, but just a generalization. Um, maybe that's a, some fear for some doctors is or some radiologists as they think, you know, I'm giving them too many cine clips and that's an opportunity mm-hmm. for them to, to maybe miss something going through a video one time or two times. Um, Whereas, you know, the still images, they just click, click, click. You can kind of see it. Um, And so I can show you a lot of information in, um, it's like, it's like, um, you know, if if I, if I make you watch a movie, I can show you a lot of information versus if I make you just see a painting. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, there's plausible deniability. If you just show me the still shots, I can just say, well, he didn't include, Right. the area involved so it's really not my you know i can't make the right. diagnosis if i can't see the right don't have the images so right. yeah yeah um, so, I, so i think I, I, to I, overall yeah. just to sum it up for this person you're going to just have to ask mm-hmm. wherever you work like the person that you work with right. i specialize in msk so you can ask me about msk stuff if mm-hmm. it's a gallbladder ask a body radiologist ask whoever you're working with how they want it done because right. they're going to be more upset with you if you don't and you do it wrong than they are if you interrupt them and say, Hey, how do you like, you know, scan X done. So right. I think to just summarize for the the person that asked, just, mm-hmm. just ask the radiologist, you know, like that's what I tell medical students. Res- I tell everybody just ask, mm-hmm. we're going to be pissed. If you order an exam, you do something wrong and you didn't ask us instead right. of interrupting us, like we're reading and asking us what to do. We would prefer that than the other right. way around. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're trying to look out, and that's great to have that open communication. We're, you know, I don't want you guys to get in trouble. We want to make sure we yeah. don't get in trouble. Um, <laughs> we're all trying to do our diligence. Um, it also okay. prevents like callbacks. I know some radiologists do callbacks. So if right. you just talk to them after the scan, here's my images. Do you like it? Do you not like it? What do you want? Yada yada yada. So yeah. I think just communicating in general will help you. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it sucks if you do get something done and, and you, they want callback. Yeah, they, yeah, they're like, you know what? I really I know you've made that mistake before. Of course, yeah, yeah. I definitely yeah. have worked with different people, and they, you know, they're like, well, what, what about what about this? And you're like, well, I sent them home, and so they're like, yeah. well, we need more images, and so you're like, oh, okay, it's a crummy feeling, and I feel bad for the patients, but I, at the yeah. same time, like, I want to make sure it's right, um, yeah. and I'm glad that the doctors or the radiologists that I've worked with brought them back because it was important that we did it again. So, uh, and, but mm-hmm. I, I want to, I would much rather if go back and say, Hey, what do you guys think? And if they go through it and you're happy with it, we're all happy. We move along. Yeah. Um, and so, and it, it's different for different exams. You know, some exams yeah. are like, okay, you know, I don't need to, you don't have to worry about necessarily calling them back, but then that you build the comfort level with the, with the radiologist yeah. and the sonographer. So, yeah. And he, I mean, he, it's institution dependent, but here at Iowa, we go over every ultrasound before they go home. So they call us after they did their initial scan. Here's our images. If we want to go in and scan, we then go in and scan. And then after that, then we send the patient home. We never, they never send them home before they call us. So I think that's a good, it's, that's probably more of an academic thing. Private practice. You really don't have the ability to do everything, to do every patient like that. But it's, it's a, it's just a thought. 
which will lead us to another topic one day about VRAD. Yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the future, yeah. another, another avenue. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, All right, I think we got one more, right? Yeah, last question here. Uh, social media is uh, um, thoughts on implementing callback limitations. And I think what, so, what, yeah, what, she, what she means is, um, you know, uh, when you're taking a lot of call, it can really cause burnout. And so as a sonographer, you don't want to get, you don't want to burn out your staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's certain exams that are more emergent maybe than, than other exams yeah. you know, if you're dealing with a torsion that has to have surgery immediately or as soon yeah. as possible um, versus maybe somebody who's just dealing with some pain that maybe we can manage the pain and they can get a, an ultrasound or, or another test the next day yeah. um, and, and then, you know, get them home and get them back in. Yeah. Um, and so I think um, she wants to know, you know, how <laughs> implementing callback and I've worked at different, and I'll just give you an example. I've worked at different mm-hmm. hospitals that um, we didn't get called in for gallbladders. We didn't get mm-hmm. called in for, I mean, I've worked at places we didn't get called in for DVTs and they just kind of held. If you really think they ha- had a DVT, they treated the patient um, and then they held them in the hospital until the next morning. And then we would do the DVTs that morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and it's, and it's really sucky for the patients. Um, I get it. But at the same time, to put your staff, if you don't have 24-7 coverage, mm-hmm. to bring a staff person. Sometimes it's a person who's going to be there in the morning. And so you're, you're calling them in at 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. And then they have to be in for their 12-hour, 10-hour yeah, yeah. shift at 7 a.m. And so yeah. now I'm overworking you. I'm waking you up in the middle of the night. You're tired. Um, and it's just all these things. And now, and now you wonder why, you know, a certain staff may leave and you, and, and yeah. you can't do that consistently to people. And so, yeah, yeah. I think that knowing, think yeah. The, uh, the only issue you run into is who decides what's emergent. Right. Right. You may not think a gallbladder is urgent, but if they have cholecystitis and it ruptures and now they're septic and they die, right. that's urgent. Right. Um, so you, you have to find someone that's willing, are you going to put it on us as radiologists to say, Hey, they're looking for this. Mm-hmm. This is urgent. I think then if you, if you put it on the ED staff or whoever orders it, they're just going to, they're going to make up something. Right. Right. I think there's clearly certain studies that don't need to be done. Right. Hydronephrosis. I don't, you, I don't care. You don't need to come in emergently for like a hydro, like a kidney renal scan, yeah. uh, liver scan. Like, no, you don't, there's nothing in, the liver that acutely is going to kill you. Um, right. The gallbladder gets tricky because if they do have cholecystitis, that is, a, they're going to have to go to surgery. That is an emergency. Right. And ultrasound happens to be the most sensitive for that. Um, right. But I think, yeah, like you've mentioned, you said torsion, if you have ovarian or testicular, tor- that's an emergency. You have to come in for that because they're going to have to go to surgery. Right. But I think then you just run into the issue of who decides what's emergent. Right. Do you as the sonographer get to decide what you think is emergent? Cause then you're going to punt a lot of stuff. Like in my mind, a DVT would be emergent because of what it can turn into, right? right? If you miss this, they don't, or you not miss it. You don't do it. They have it. They don't treat it. You get a PE. If they do have it, they treat it. Or excuse me, if they don't have it, but clinically they think they do. So they go ahead and treat until you can come in the next morning. What happens then if they have a spontaneous bleed in their, in the brain right. and they die from that because of the blood thinner. So yeah. it gets yeah. very tricky, very fast. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I think, and I think in the past, that I, don't, I, I think the ERs, ER doctors and have been the one that kind of said, okay, like we, you know, we as a hospital don't have enough staff to put people on mm-hmm. call at these hours. And so, you know, if, if something's really emergent, maybe they can get a CAT scan. Like if you think, you know, this gallbladder yeah. is be septic or you think it's maybe cholecystitis or something like that, mm-hmm. um, we'll get it. We'll get a, a CT scan. If nothing shows up on the CT scan, although ultrasound's more sensitive, um, if you, we can hold the patient, um, mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. And so I think that it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's a tricky line. Like you said, like you want to make sure that we're doing what's right for our patients, but also maintaining staff so we can ha- treat patients. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then also not getting, hopefully not getting anybody sued or nobody dies. Yeah. Um, from from these things and so i think um i th- i think these are tough conversations that have to be had by probably the er doctors the radiologists 
mm-hmm. um, in, in the leadership of those departments. So you need the doctors and the leadership to all sit down and have some sort of agreeing um, that they can come to this notion and, and say, okay, this is the way we're going to do it. Yeah. And we all back up each other on this thing because we have to maintain staff. If that, I mean, ultimately it would be great. And we could just hire more people and get 24 seven staff, yeah. you know? So then if, if, if we have, you know, a lot of times overnight, if you work at small hospitals, you're not doing a ton of exams. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's hard to validate having somebody there for 12 hours on a weekend Sunday or, you know, Saturday night or something that maybe not a lot of people are coming in, but you're there just simply for the fact that we don't have to call in anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be great if, if call didn't exist, but yes. with staffing, yeah. with staffing issues that we have, it does, yeah. it's going to, it's going to yeah. be there. And, and sometimes it just, it sucks to get called in at, you know, 1 a.m. for something, but. And I know we didn't really answer the question, but I, I don't know that there is an answer to this question. Yeah, I think, yeah, um, I, I don't think that there is an answer. I think, I think it's just one of the aspects of uh, that comes with working in healthcare, right? And this call is a unique concept. Radiologists don't really take call. Usually there's someone in-house the whole time, or they send it to VRAD or Telerad, whoever. Um, mm-hmm. IR physicians are really the only one who take call. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not used to ha- calling people in because we're always there. Right. And where I train both places, there's someone here all the time. So we never right. have to call anybody in. Yeah. Um, but I can understand if you're at a small, very small, like rural community hospital. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. I've had to, I've had to call in, um, and I, I don't think, I don't think I told you this, but I've had to call in a radiologist before, um, when they put in different procedures, they'll put mm-hmm. in like a, a parathor and, you know, you got to, okay, we got to, oh man, we got to wake up Dr. So-and-so, yeah. uh, and call them in to do this paracentesis that's, yeah. and, then, and then, you know, Dr. Not emergent. Yeah. yeah, not emergent. that will get on the phone and call the ordering and say, you know, is this emergent or is it, you know, they kind of figure that out and then. Are they coming in? Or are they not coming in? And then, you know, other, amongst other things, we won't get yeah. into all that kind of stuff. But, um, and so I think that wraps that up. Yeah, those are right. our social media questions. Do you have any more? Um, Dennis I, is an avid user on that sonographers <laughs> do in the dark, or you can email us. Yeah, hit whatever, me up. Whatever um, is easier. We, um, we we're getting, some- this is getting a little bit longer, but I want to do, I do want to do the last segment because it's my favorite part. Okay. And I told before, you what the question you, was. Before you yeah, go, go in there, before you jump in there. Um, we have some other questions that we were given and we will plan on answering your social media questions. Yeah. We didn't forget about next you episode. next yeah. episode. We'll get you in. I promise. But yeah. we want to hit this last segment and, and we'll let Gage tell us what's going to happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, all right. We answered last time. Who would we want on the podcast? Right. That was the kind of the fun question we asked mm-hmm. this time. I'm going to ask you if we ever took it big enough mm-hmm. or maybe not at any point, who would you want to sponsor the podcast? Um, give, give me one or two. Okay. Okay. I think um, initially I would love to help out. So I'm from Ohio. Um, I would love mm-hmm. to help out any small businesses um, that, that if we get big enough and we have a big enough push to just help grow my community mm-hmm. um, in whatever way we can, whether we're putting an ad up or I'm putting a what whatever it is to just help make my where I'm from a better place and grow mm-hmm. those businesses. I think if okay, my second one, if we're going to go on like um, a big, yeah, get, yeah, yeah, here we go, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would love to be, you know, I, I mean, obviously this is sports and medicine collide, and so I think I would love to be, you know, sponsored by an MBA or or a big company where we can kind yeah. of talk about our opinions on, um, you know, with you with the MSK or whether it's. Yeah sonography side and then we can get it through our sports in there and, and i don't even know what that would look like in terms mm-hmm. of sponsorship um i don't I, they'd probably obviously help us a lot more than we'd help them um but but some facet of some sort of big sports mm-hmm. something that's um, a good yeah yeah i know you were into the dr pepper world oh yeah, yeah so my <laughs> yeah yeah easy <laughs> If they come Dr. Dr. Pepper would be the, the far and by far and away the first one I would pick. I drink one every day, uh, no. and I have for a large majority of my life. Oh man, we got we got to cut the that sweet, out. But yeah, yeah, if we get free Dr. Pepper, 
Yeah, yeah. sweet nectar of doctor. Yeah. Like, so they uh, would be first. Skip Bayless um, with his Diet Mountain Dew. Yeah, uh, yeah. I prefer the real. <laughs> if it's gonna kill me, give me the real stuff instead of the fake stuff. There you go. But Dr Pepper Easy would be the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I have. I had a couple other ones. Sure. I wear a lot of like Under Armour and Nike, so they're kind of like sports related. Those are you know oh, they yeah. wear a lot of or they deal with a lot of athletes. So I would I would love to have either one. I wear a lot of probably more Under Armour than Nike, but either one. Um, and if I had to pick like a medical one, maybe it would have to be someone that runs machines like a GE, oh, yeah. uh, a Siemens, or like a Samsung. Right? Those are the only kind of companies I can think. You know, I have another company I want to throw in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a specific company, but I think a travel company. I think yeah, uh, that'd be good. Yeah, for us to be able to. Um, I mean, maybe it may be that podcast grows. Maybe we add a nurse or we add some sort of other yeah. traveler onto the diamond, a recruiter. And so we bring somebody in and, and we kind of all just people just get blunt information that we can tell about the travel world from the travel company that's sponsoring mm-hmm. us. Maybe we have a podcast for that one day. I mean, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think that would be a really, co- really cool one. I like the, the clothing on the Under Armour, the stuff like that. That would be great, too. Yeah, that would all coincide. Um Okay. Well, I think we got through our fun question. Yeah. We got through our good, uh, good information. It ran a little longer. Sometimes yeah, you don't yeah. realize how much you can talk. Yeah. We, I mean, even from our first episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So. But, but again, anyways, like Gage said, check out our social medias, which is, what is our social medias Gage? So we're on TikTok, We're on Instagram, YouTube. It's all rad underscore talk underscore DG. And then the email is radtalkwithdg at gmail.com. Yeah. Feel free to hit us up, guys. And we appreciate it. We hope you guys learned some things. Um, yeah. And next episode, we're probably going to do some more medical stuff. We're still going to do our sports stuff because mm-hmm. we're killing it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. 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 I think next episode we'll do – I definitely want to talk about residency or medical sure. school, I mean. And then yeah, we're yeah. going to, we'll decide later, but we'll pick one of your travel segments. For sure. Um, and then I'm going to pick a fun question. I got to have the, always. that's what I look forward to. So yeah, always, always. All right. All right. Cool. Well, we'll see you guys next week. See you guys next week.